Here's what it says. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 says, David arose and fled that day from Saul. He was on the run. And he went to Achish. Now, some of you will notice that there's a difference between the name at the heading of Psalm 34, which is Abimelech, and then the identification of this leader, which is Achish. What's the deal? Well, it's believed that Abimelech was a title much like Pharaoh. And so his, that was his name on the throne, if you will. It was a throne name like a Pharaoh or a Caesar, but his personal name was Achish. So there's no contradiction here, just simply he was known by both names or a title and a name. He was the king of Gath, 1 Samuel 21, 11. But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one? They danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, and notice, and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. He was afraid, as stout and studly and courageous as David was on multiple occasions in his life. This was a time that he was afraid. And let me just say that uh, as much as there's times when I can feel as courageous as a lion, there's other times that I can be as fearful as a little girl <laughs> or a little boy. Don't want to just talk about little girls, right? And here's the point. In our humanity, even our greatest heroes in our Bibles were afraid. And uh, I don't want you to get the wrong impression about biblical heroes so that you think that you only know this story about somebody like David and you think, well, David 24-7 was always so courageous and so strong. He wouldn't back down from any fight. He wouldn't back down from any giant. He would never be afraid. Well, here you have it. David was afraid. See, he took these words to heart. He heard the people talking and all of a sudden realized that, you, you know, he was known about in these lands and I'm sure he knew that. And he greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. And so he disguised his sanity before them. And he acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this story before, but David acted like he was nuts. And I heard another pastor who was commenting on this passage, and he said, that uh, the way that they would deal with people that they thought were insane is there was some superstition surrounding people who were considered crazy, and so they would just basically lead that, leave them alone. I don't know if they thought that they, maybe they were filled with demons or whatever, but they kind of just would send them away. They really wanted nothing to do with them, and that may have been David's strategy. Maybe that's why he acted like he was insane and you know, we've probably all read stories or seen movies before where people have gotten away with that. You know, you act like you're crazy and, you know, people just kind of leave you alone and maybe you don't get beat up or anything. And David feared for his life. Obviously, he would be considered an enemy in Philistine territory. And so he let his spit run down his beard. He was scribbling and acting crazy. And Achish said to his servants, 14, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act like a madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Why are you bringing another nutty person to me? I've had enough of crazy people. <laughs> you know, when you're ruling a kingdom, you probably get your share of uh, people who are a little bit off, you know. You deal with a lot of different things. Some of you deal with a lot of different people in your work. And, you know, not everybody's got it together. Have, have you realized that about humanity? 
uh, there are a lot of strange people. There are a lot of people who believe that they are Elijah and Moses who have returned to the earth. And uh, I've met a lot of different people. In fact, I remember at my ordination service, one of the pastors spoke these words from the pulpit. He said, Pastor Michael, I'm being commissioned into the pastorate now. You are going to meet people in the pastoral ministry that you can't even imagine. <laughs> now, he said that having been a seasoned pastor, and you know what? He was right. <laughs> but that's our world, right? There's a lot of broken, hurting, just off people. And David acted like he was crazy. And David departed, 22-1 of 1 Samuel, from Gath, that is, from there. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Notice this. This is beautiful. And everyone who was in distress, 22-2. And everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. I remember I, I had a chance to preach on this text, and I entitled it, There's Room for You in the Cave. And that's the beauty of who David is. He's the Messiah. Uh, he's not the Messiah, but he's the anointed one. He is a type of the Messiah, I should say a type of the greater David to come, but he was the anointed one, and that is where the word Messiah comes from. But anyway, my point is simply this, that after David did this, he saw this as the grace of God. Now, let's turn back to Psalm 34. Nathan, if you don't mind, would you make sure the air is on up here? Thank you. And let, let's just park here before I break into the psalm just to say to you, uh, there's, a, there's a moral question here. And here's the question. Did what David do, was it right to act like he had lost his mind? And my answer is, I don't know. Because where the Bible is silent, I must be silent. I don't know if it was the right thing to act as if he was insane or nuts. It got him out of the situation, that's for sure. And I suppose that we can look back at things that are you could say morally, uh, maybe there's some gray area there, and we can nitpick them and beat ourselves up over it. And I would say that there are some things that perhaps are morally neutral. I don't know if this is one of them. I don't know if it's that big of a deal in the end. But it is something that people have brought up. Like, okay, what was? did David not trust God? Did, did, couldn't David just have stopped and prayed? Well, maybe he was praying. Maybe he was praying something like this, Lord, make me a good actor, right? Because I'm about to act like I'm nuts. Give me an Oscar-winning performance in the name of Jesus. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I mean, you know, David uh, was a man of prayer. He was a man in fellowship with God. I don't know, uh, ultimately, but I do know this, that the Lord used it to deliver David out of a very threatening situation where perhaps he could have died. And so David writes, I will bless the Lord with that backdrop of the psalm. I will bless the Lord, Psalm 34, 1, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now the psalmist opens with a praise, and it's a bit of a determination, you could say, I will bless the Lord at all times. I think there's a part of the Christian life where we just have to be determined to do certain things even when we don't feel like it. 
i.e. read your Bible, i.e. pray, go to church. There's times that you're not always going to feel it. But you know what? When you show up, you'll end up probably feeling it. (laughs) There's some things that you just do out of discipline because spiritual disciplines are a reality. If you don't open your Bible, you're not going to hear from God. If, If you don't seek the Lord in prayer, then you're not going to experience the blessing of his, the beauty of his shining on you in prayer. So there are some things that we have to determine, and David determined, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, did David have reason not to bless the Lord at times in his life? Certainly, when he was ducking from spears from Saul on the run from a crazed uh, Saul, many other situations, his own son Absalom trying to take his throne but there is a pattern in parts of this psalm where the believer moves, he trusts, he tastes, and then the Lord does something in response. The believer will do something, and then the Lord meets the believer there. The believer moves toward God, trusts in God, tastes to see, and then the Lord satisfies the need. David opens this psalm by giving us a key to a life of worship and a key to spiritual health. That is to bless the Lord at all times. Paul put it this way. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's hard to rejoice always. It's hard to pray without ceasing. It's hard to give thanks in everything. But there is a determination. And I'll tell you, since the time I preached that some weeks ago on a Sunday... I've had that been, that's been rotating in my spirit, especially when I've been grumpy and down and whatever. That verse has been kind of kicking me back to where I need to be. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. What are you whining about? Are you looking to the Lord or to everything else? See, what the verses do for me is they turn my eyes back to where they belong. And that's the key to spiritual health. If you want to be spiritually healthy, it's all about your diet. Amen? It's all about what you take in. It's all about what you focus on. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, verse 2, Psalm 34. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Now, verses 1 and 2 are connected. To bless the Lord includes boasting in Him. And let me just say, there's plenty to boast about. Have you considered what your Father has done? You ever just taken a couple of moments in the last couple of weeks to consider his heavens, the work of his fingers, the sun, moon, and stars that he has ordained? You ever considered a newborn? You ever looked in somebody's eyes and just considered the wonder of the eye or the majesty of the brain? Consider your circulatory system, a bird in flight, a sunset when colors spread all over the sky and it's just an amazing sight. This is our God. And that's only to mention the physical creation, that which which we can see, and the body, but there's much, much more. We could delve into areas of our salvation and depth of the word of God. There's much to glory in his name. And when others hear leaders, leaders of families, moms and dads, siblings, fellow schoolmates, rejoicing in the Lord, giving glory to his name, you know, it, it, it causes people to do a redirect. They, you know, people get tunnel vision in our world and 
They don't, some people don't even know how to look up. They, they don't know how to see spiritual truth. And when you remind people about it, all of a sudden, one word can change somebody's perspective. Spurgeon says, confident expressions of tried believers are a rich solace to their brethren of less experience. We ought to talk of the Lord's goodness on purpose that others may be confirmed in their trust in a faithful God. So I think it's important for us who are a little older in the Lord to remind people about the goodness of God and to even recount our experiences of his faithfulness, amen? So that other people who are younger in the Lord can know that they will make it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, says David, and let us exalt his name together. David invites the congregation of the humble, verse 3, to join with him in exalting God in worship. It reminds me of the lyrics of Tom, uh, Chris Tomlin's song, How Great Is Our God, Sing With Me. How great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. So a worship leader, part of a worship leader's job is to say, sing with me, <laughs> amen? And sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes we've come in and we've had a rough week and it's difficult and our hearts are a little bit prickly and a little frozen. You ever come in as God's frozen chosen to the church building before? little frozen, little mad, little angry. Somebody took your parking spot. Somebody's sitting in the pew where you normally sit. Come on. Is my morning going to start off this way? And then the worship leader, how you doing? <laughs> sing with me. I don't know sing, sing. Sometimes we need to be prodded back to a right perspective. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us, let us Exalt his name together. There was a press conference for Mike McClure, and uh, Mike McClure is sitting with over $300,000 in fines uh, because he's opened Calvary Chapel, I think at Santa Clara. $300,000 worth of fines. And there was a press conference, and there was a lot of different pastors there, and some of you may have seen it, but uh, one of the pastors, and this is no disrespect to those of you who are being careful and uh, because of health reasons, staying home because of concerns, but he said, uh, when you're not in fellowship together, it's kind of like watching one of those fires on your television. He said, you know, it can be pretty and you can hear the crackling sound of the fire on your TV screen, but the one thing it's missing is the warmth of an actual fire. And and. The way I took that is to say we need fellowship. We need to sing together and be together. And uh, I will say, as much as the live stream has been a blessing, that uh, there's evidence coming in from statistics now that more and more Christians are admitting that they're not even turning on the live stream anymore. And the numbers have significantly dipped. And uh, I will be bold enough to say that there are Christians that are falling away. At first, it was a cool novelty. And again, I am not speaking to those of you who need to stay away because of health reasons. But for others, it was a cool novelty to be able to, you know, live stream with a fellowship and be part of it. But it's very easy to not play that. There are many competing distractions on your television screen, right? And so, 
He says, join me in song. He invites the congregation, sing with me. David takes the part of a worship leader. He's been touched by God, and he wants to encourage others to join him in thanksgiving and praise. Now, in verses 4 through 7, we move to his declaration of deliverance. You could say the reason that he praises is he says, I sought the Lord for, and he answered, or he heard me, and he delivered me. What's your Bible say? From all my fears. Now, when we read the account of David in Gath, he was greatly afraid. And the Lord delivered him from what? All his fears. And it's possible to be in a mode where you are overwhelmed by fear and in a moment to be delivered from all your fear. Have you ever experienced that before? Amen? Where you have been overwhelmed by fear and you turn to the Lord and he heard your cry. And I'll tell you that a supernatural touch came. And I can't explain it to you, but a peace that passes understanding, a courage from on high, a baptism of boldness, if you will, come, came from heaven. Fear dissipates in the glory of his name. What do you have to be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. But those verses are there because even people like David sometimes are greatly afraid. And when I sought the Lord, the action of the believer is to seek the Lord and he will be found. He answered me and he delivered me. We serve a God of deliverance from all my fears. And if you are overwhelmed by fear tonight, I would encourage you to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near and he will deliver you from your fear. Because he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And there are people all over our world, in every country you can imagine tonight, paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed. And the Lord gives us a remedy here for our fear. He cried out. He sought the Lord. Now, again, David's actions, I don't know how to judge them. Was he relying on the flesh? Was he praying? I don't know. But David turned to the Lord. He sought the Lord. And then he begins to talk about people who do this. People beyond just David, they look to him. Whenever someone looks to the Lord, that's kind of a, another way to say worship. They look to him, verse 5, and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Now, maybe David was wrestling a little bit with his actions there in Gath. I don't know. But this is what Spurgeon says. He says, Never did a sore heart look in vain to the good physician. Never a dying soul turned its darkening eye to the brazen serpent to find its virtue gone. Their faces were not ashamed. Their faces were covered with joy, but not with blushes. He who trusts in God has no need to be ashamed of his confidence. Time and eternity will both justify his reliance. When you look to God, you become radiant. You see, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And when you look to God, and remember, some of these are kind of metaphors, but they paint the picture. God's light shines upon you, and there's a radiance that comes over you. It's like he lifts your burdens, he lifts your fears. The light of God comes into my darkness, 
and I go from one degree of glory to another. Look to the Lord, and he will shine on you. You can find new radiance. Your face can be lightened and brightened. This is an expression of peace and joy as opposed to downcast features of those who are ashamed or disappointed. A transformation takes place every time I seek his face. You know that? Every time I seek the Lord, I get transformed from one degree of glory to another because I'm in fellowship with him instead of walking in the flesh, instead of having my eyes on the wrong things. The poor man, six, cried, and the Lord heard him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 3. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Now it's not just out of all his fears, but what is it? Out of all his what? Troubles. Isn't that good? First it's from all your fears, then it's from all your troubles. Anybody got some troubles tonight? Anybody got some fears tonight? You know, this is why we have been saying the church is beyond essential. The church is not to be compared to a box supermarket where you can get goods as important as that may be. The church gives food to the soul. That's why to close the doors of the church at a time like this is a travesty. I am not saying that we shouldn't be wise. I'm not talking about not taking proper precaution as best you can. But I am talking about the church having the opportunity to minister to the deepest needs of a culture now under a cloud of fear and darkness. And so David says he saved him. The poor man cries. He saves him out of all his trouble. And then notice this, the angel of the Lord most scholars believe the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus before he was born as the baby in Bethlehem. The angel of the Lord, what does he do? He encamps around who? Those who fear him and he rescues them. The angel of the Lord. Now, I'm not sure that we always think about these spiritual dimensions, but you know, there's a spiritual world there are verses that I could take you to right now that indicate that angels somehow participate in our worship. There are demonic spirits. That's why we need to put on the whole armor of God to take our stand against the schemes of the devil. That's a Bible verse. That is real. And so the angel of the Lord here is a picture of Jesus Christ. And you can think of a scene in Joshua 5 when uh, the angel of the Lord appears there and he's the captain of the, the hosts of the Lord and remember Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemy? <laughs> and he basically says, neither, man. Why don't you take off your sandals right now because you're standing on holy ground. See, that was the Lord and that's why the angel of the Lord and the Lord are often interchangeable. And the Lord showed up right before Joshua had one of the biggest battles of his life. And the Lord will show up in your biggest battles. In fact, it says he, he encamps around. He is with us and for us. The Lord sweeps our griefs away, says Spurgeon, as men destroy a hive of hornets or as the wind clears away the mists. Prayer can clear us of troubles 
as easily as the Lord made riddance of the frogs and flies of Egypt when Moses entreated him. Who can make God great but those who feel themselves to be little? This poor man cries out to you, and the angel of the Lord encamps around and rescues us. We little know how many providential deliverances we owe to those unseen hands which are charged to bear us up lest, lest we dash our foot against a stone. How many times has God delivered us and we didn't even realize it? How many times has Jesus Christ preserved my life? You know, there's things that we've prayed about over the years and uh, it could have been about our health and all of a sudden we started feeling better. Who knows what he may have healed us from? We just don't know. But we have a number of days that we've been given. And eventually, of course, the Lord, the Lord will take us home, but we will be in the house of the Lord forever. And I'll, I'll pause here to tell you that uh, one of our dear saints, uh, Linda, who is often in the back sitting in a wheelchair, and her, um, she's been battling uh, from the time she was very young. She was born with spina bifida. And uh, my understanding is that if, if you have spina bifida, lifespan is not uh, expected to be beyond like 13 or 14 is what I've heard. And uh, she born with spina bifida and born premature, uh, born at five and a half months. And Linda lived 34 years on this planet, outlived every expectation. And I'll tell you, every time we opened those church doors, Linda would faithfully be here with a smile on her face. And I tell you what, she had been through so many medical procedures, and she had to have amputations and all of that. And uh, Linda went home to be with the Lord um, just a short time ago. And uh, pray for the family. We're going to have a memorial service here uh, next Wednesday, and that's going to be at 10 in the morning. So if you want to be here to support that family, just FYI why I'm thinking about it too, we are not going to have an evening service next Wednesday, the, the night before Thanksgiving. So just Mark that so you guys don't show up and nobody's here, but um, please be praying for Vicki and the siblings, Abraham and, and uh, the other siblings as well. Pray, pray that the Lord would comfort their hearts. Verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here is our title. How blessed is the man, how blessed is the woman who takes refuge in him. This is an invitation to come and taste and see. Have you ever had a food that someone told you was really good and you didn't want to taste it because it was one of those foreign foods before? How many of you like that uh, raw fish stuff? What is that stuff called again? Sushi? Ugh. I don't get the sushi thing. People have told me it's good, but I have been hesitant to try it. Just because the idea, uh, it scares me, frankly. So I need to pray that the Lord would remove all my fears. But I remember when I was a kid, um, my, one of my cousins gave me a mushroom. And uh, I said, what does it taste like? What does it taste like? I was a little kid. And he said, tastes just like chicken. And I ate the mushroom. And I that doesn't taste just like chicken. But that's what older cousins do to younger cousins, right? But I'll tell you what, here's an invitation. And here's what it is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Please hear what I'm about to say. You are not going to know until you try. 
Some of you have been on the outskirts and you watch other people taste, but you haven't tasted for yourself. You've been around the things of God. You've looked at it. You've examined it. You've considered it, but you haven't ate it because you have been afraid to actually try it. There was that old commercial. Give it to Mikey. Mikey likes everything. Mikey will eat it. I'm Mikey. Anyway, never mind. That's <laughs> you cannot experience the Lord unless you decide to open up your life. And that goes for those of you who are believers and you're not eating and drinking in the things of God. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth, says the psalmist. Psalm 119, 103 through 105. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How are you going to know where to go if you don't taste and see? How are you going to know the path if you don't have the light of the word of God? Have you ever met someone who begins to tell you about spiritual things and about things that they think are in the Bible? God only helps those who help themselves. Second Opinions 416. <laughs> That's all it is. Right? That's in the Bible, right? It's like, have you ever read the Bible before? I've had people argue with me about Bible passages. And I'll tell you, I've, I've been studying the book for a little while. And I've had people literally argue with me and they don't even know what the verses are, let alone how to interpret them. Here's my point. Why don't you taste and see? You've tried everything else. How many things have you tried? Sampled a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There's people all over our world, they've sampled a lot of different spiritual things. I'll taste a little bit of this. It's like a smorgasbord. People say smorgasbords are good. You just taste it. Mm, mm, mm. Right? That's kind of how we like things. Any of you ever sampled yogurt at a yogurt store and then not bought anything? You thieves. <laughs> There's a personal application there. You can, anyway. Oh, fear the Lord, nine, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. Fear God, says Spurgeon, and fear nothing else. Fear God and fear nothing else. See, if you have the fear of God, it... It stamps out all other fears. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. See, if you fear the Lord, saints, there will be no want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, he's not always going to give me what I desire, like in the cool, shiny things that I pray for sometimes. Anybody do that? Lord, it would just be nice. You know, people talk about Sports cars are a problem, but I just like to experience it just once, just to see <laughs> what it's like. There's a story about Aurelio Barreto. He was the founder of Dog Glue. You remember Dog Glue? It was those, uh, those dog houses that were built like igloos, and he sold the company for millions of dollars, and he said he went down to a Porsche dealer, I think in Orange County, bought a red Porsche Turbo, what is it, Carrera? So he went screaming down the 91 freeway and felt an overwhelming sense of emptiness right after he bought the car cash. 
And that was one of the things that drove him to salvation in Jesus Christ. He's the founder of the C28 stores, and I'm not sure if they're even around anymore. And I, I remember hearing that story, and you know, he was talking about that overwhelming emptiness right after buying that Porsche tur Turbo Carrera. And I, I just said, you know, I'd just like to try it, just to see if I'd experience that same emptiness. <laughs> That's sort of a joke. Anyway, uh, yeah. Not that I speak from want, says Paul, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Can you say it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He delivers us from fears, troubles, and supplies our deepest needs, but not always everything. This is not a categorical statement. There are some Christians in some countries that go hungry. And I don't know how to answer every question there, but I'll just say to you, there were times that Paul went without food, and he was hungry, and he was homeless. But that's why he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And somewhere in there, God's purposes were also found, even in times of want. And probably in a room like this, living in America, we could all probably say, I've known times of prosperity, if you've lived long enough, and I've known times when it was really thin, living paycheck to paycheck. And you may be in either category right now, but either way, God will supply. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, David was, did a lot of time in the desert, so maybe he saw some of this. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. It's the job of the elder to teach the younger ones. I will teach you, what? The fear of the Lord. Come and listen. If you're a Sunday school teacher, your job is to teach the next generation the fear of the Lord. Do you know that Tanya is struggling to find Sunday school teachers, struggling. She had to combine classes on Sunday just to teach our kids. Why? Where are the teachers? Where are people who would say, here I am, I'll teach them. You know, so, sometimes I, I get the feeling that Christians think they have to start with teaching adults because they're just too good for the little kids. You know what? If you can teach little kids, you can teach probably anybody. And I speak from experience. I've helped with youth groups. I've taught in a public school setting a Sunday school lesson during a break time at Bible release time. I think that any of us who have any teaching ability, if you're not engaged in teaching, why not? You know, we have two services on a Sunday morning, and part of the reason we do that is so you can come to one and get fed and then serve at the other one. Not so that you can choose which one you're going to go to based upon your latest sleep patterns. What do you think we should do today? The 9 or the 11.15? I don't know. Maybe we'll go to Denny's. Maybe we'll... Thank you. If the shoe fits, walk in it. <laughs> Who is the man 
Are you the man or the woman who wants this, who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Is that you? Oh, I think that's all of us. Jesus said, I came to give you life, and that more abundantly. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. If you want to have this life, then keep your tongue from evil. You want the good life? You want to see a length of days? You want to have a long, rich life? Keep your tongue from evil, because nothing will destroy your life quicker than a tongue that spouts venom. And don't be a liar. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace, and look at this, and pursue it. Spurgeon again, guard with careful diligence that dangerous member of the tongue, lest it utter evil, for that evil will recoil upon thee and mar the enjoyment of thy life. Men cannot spit forth poison without feeling some of the venom burning their own flesh and thy lips from speaking guile. Deceit must be very earnestly avoided by the man who desires happiness. A crafty schemer lives like a spy in the enemy's camp, in constant fear of exposure and execution. Clean and honest conversation, by keeping the conscience at ease, promotes happiness. But lying and wicked talk stuffs our pillow with thorns, says Spurgeon, and makes life a constant whirl of fear and shame. You want to set yourself up for a life where you don't have a soft pillow You're always bagging on people. You're always running them down with your mouth, and you're a liar. You have set yourself up for a destructive life. Now, what do you do if you're in a pattern like that? Repent of it. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil, that is understanding. Job 28, 28. Depart from it. Don't hang around the lion's leer and then wonder why you got bit. Don't play by the hole of the cobra and then wonder why the venom went into your arm. If you want to have a good life, you got to depart from evil. You can't play by the cave and expect that you're just going to be cool. I'll be strong enough when the lion comes out. You won't. Depart from evil. Seek good. For the eyes of the Lord, 15, are toward the righteous. His ears, this is beautiful, are open to their cry. But the face of the Lord, notice, is against evildoers to cut off their memory of them from the earth. If you're a person who fears the Lord, he'll be open to your cry. His eyes will be toward you. His favor is the idea. His love. But if you do evil, if you're a malicious person, be sure that the Lord will be against you. And ultimately, people will forget you. You know, people think they're so relevant until they're not relevant. Have you noticed that movie stars and singers and comedians lose relevance? And they often lose it during their earthly life. That's not to mention their own demise and death. So if you live for what's temporary, that's what you'll get. And then your memory will be be cut off. Do you know, if I gave you a list of movie stars that died in the last year, many of them you wouldn't even remember, realize it. And there'll be generations to come that will forget about their movies and forget about all that stuff. And what was that song? And who had that one hit wonder? But you know, the people who do the will of God endure forever. So you live for what's eternal. The righteous cry the Lord hears. He delivers them out of all their troubles. That's a repetition of what we learned before. And then the Lord, this is a precious verse. 
is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love Spurgeon's thoughts. And he says, near in friendship to accept and console. Broken hearts think God far away when he is really most near them. Their eyes are holden so that they see not their best friend. Indeed, he is with them and in them, but they know it not. They run hither and thither, seeking peace in their own works or in experiences or in proposals and resolutions, where as the Lord is nigh them, near them, and the simple act of faith will reveal him. The Lord, some of you need to mark this for yourself tonight, is near your broken heart. I have sent that psalm out to many who have just gone through a loss and just to assure them that the Lord knows. If you're feeling crushed in spirit, he's near you. He saves you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Just because you follow the Lord doesn't mean that you won't have afflictions. You'll have many. That's life. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now write this down for your notes. John 19 uh, it's around <clears throat> oh, verse 17. Actually, John 19, 28 through 37. Let me just quickly paint because we're running out of time. The two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus, the Roman soldiers came to break their legs. And they broke the legs of the first one and the other one. And what they would do is they would do that to speed up your death because the only way you could get a breath on the cross is to lift yourself up to open up your lungs. They would break your legs so that you couldn't get any more breath and you would quickly die. And they came, they would come with like a sledgehammer and just brutal, but they would crush your legs. And they came to Jesus and they were about to break his legs, but they noticed something. He was what? He was already dead. And so they broke not his legs. And John quotes this verse in John uh, chapter 19. They didn't break his legs because he had already given up his spirit. He had already said, it is finished and bowed his holy head. Maybe a, a way to see an act of reverence to his father. See, we may get scars and bruises and cuts in this life, but Never can they break our soul. Jesus is the lover and protector of our soul. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And then thinking of the redemption of Jesus, final verse 22 says, The Lord redeems the soul, he's the lover of our souls, of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Father, thank you that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Thank you that those who believe your word, believe in the triune God, have passed from death to life. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace.
We were not saved with corruptible things like silver and gold from our futile conduct, our aimless conduct inherited from our forefathers, but we were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Thank you, Lord. What can we say? Only to say thank you for saving us. Thank you for purchasing us. Thank you for what you went through on that cross. You were pierced through. You experienced that awful uh, feeling abandoned on the cross. My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? But we know there on the cross you bore the weight of my sin. You took my punishment. You bore the wrath of God for the bride of God. Purchasing our dowry, our redemption. Paying the price that we could never pay. And doing it all because you love your people with an everlasting love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Thank you that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you that you have purchased us with an eternal uh, promise, the Holy Spirit who now resides in us, who has sealed us to the day of redemption. We are so grateful. Would you just take a few moments to do a little Selah time? Let the word of God just sink into your soul. Let it wash you, strengthen you, cleanse you. If you've not met Jesus, cry out to him as your redeemer. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He will save you if you will repent of your sin and trust in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Just say, Lord, I believe. You died on that cross. You rose from the dead. And I'm turning from my sin and I'm asking you to be my king, my Lord, my Savior, my God. If you've been a wayward believer and you just want to come home and you've been struggling with doubts and fears and all of the stuff that was mentioned tonight, taste and see. The Lord is good. And for all of the dear saints that are in this room who are fighting the good fight, I pray that you would be encouraged with the spiritual truths that we receive tonight. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you for dying us, Holy Spirit, dying for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for living in us and empowering us to do what you've called us to do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.